Today's script. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter six, verses one to eight. Here is the word of the Lord. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The the pivots on the house uh, thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs to me, holding a live cord that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched <coughs> sorry, my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, praise, and glory be to God. Okay, the sermon is worship part two, and the theme for this month has been worship. And you can worship God anytime, any place, anywhere. And I just want to share about yesterday how we worshiped God. A number of the young adults, YAM, Young Adult Ministry, 14 to be exact, came to the Kagawa Center in Sanomia and went to the Toyohiko Kagawa Museum. We also ate lunch together in Tengokuya, Heaven's Cafe, and we had a wonderful time. And then the worship continued. Some of them went off to Awajishima and had um, a time at Andy's home singing songs, um, devotion, um, testimonies, and so the worship continued. And so it's wonderful that we worship outside of the church as well as here together in the church as well. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to thee, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Okay, on one Sunday, a woman came up to the pastor and she said, Pastor, that was a really good sermon. And he said, well, don't thank me, thank God. And she said, well, I thought of that, but it really wasn't that good. So anyway, I doubt many of you come to worship service at KUC just for the sermon. And I cannot promise that every single sermon preached here will be extraordinary and wonderful and touch your heart. But I, I hope some aspects of the worship will. 
um, perhaps either the prayers or the wonderful music, the scripture reading, even just being together as a community will allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart. Worship is the desire to praise and to know God, and the word worship means to attribute worth to worth-ship. And we're here to worship God, to attribute worth to God, because God's created us with a desire to praise and to worship God. Well, let me give you an example of someone famous who desired to know more about God. Um, Anne Sullivan was Helen Keller's teacher. Have you heard of Helen Keller? Some of you? Oh, none of you. Okay. Well, Helen Keller was both blind and deaf. So blind and deaf. And her teacher, Anne Sullivan, would spell out words in her hand like this. And so one day she spelled out the words, well, I'm going to teach you about God today. I don't know if I'm doing right. I don't know the kind of language she used, but it probably looked something like this. So Helen Keller spelled back into Anne Sullivan's hand, good, um, I've been thinking about him for a very long time. Now this is a woman who's both blind and deaf. And no one had ever told her about God, but in her heart, She'd been thinking about God for a long time. She had an inner desire to worship God. And God has created most of us here today with that desire as well. Now on September 2nd, I preached a sermon on worship. And Akiko Sensei has also preached about worship. If you missed that, any of our sermons, you can always go to the website and find our sermons. And worship is a theme, of course, that's ongoing, not just for what we've been preaching on this month. And oftentimes, worship is experienced when we go away with a fresh awareness of the greatness of God. And that was Isaiah's experience. You heard the scripture from Isaiah 6 today. And so worship that Isaiah experienced happened. It happened because he had a desire to seek God. Looking at the scripture from the book of Isaiah, some of you have a sermon manuscript with you so you can look at the scripture again. Isaiah is one of the most well-known prophets in the Bible for his predictions for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah who would redeem his people from their sins. So let me talk a little bit about his vision and his relationship to worship. Okay, if you look at our bulletin today, our bulletin that you all have. You'll see the parts of Isaiah 6 that I'm going to highlight in today's worship service. Okay, Isaiah, he began with adoration and praise. So this is what we call the call to worship. See, the call to worship that we did. And also our opening hymn, or today it was an opening praise song, sung beautifully by, um, led beautifully by um, Madoka and Yasko. And Isaiah saw the Lord with a sense of on, um, awesomeness and respect and praises God. And then Isaiah talks about being lost. He talks about being a man with unclean lips. So this is the prayer of confession. He is confessing his sin. We together confess our sin. Verse 5 shows that Isaiah has an awareness of his sin. 
We cannot seek to hide or cover up our sins and really worship. And Isaiah knows this, and we know this, and God knows this. Therefore, this is why we do a prayer of confession when we come to church each week. And you also do prayers of confession, hopefully, when you are praying to God at home as well. But seeing God in all his majesty has shown Isaiah that he is both sin, he's sinful individually and also as a member of his people. Isaiah cannot distance himself from all of the weakness that he has condemned and that you read about if you've read Isaiah in the first five chapters. You can read about it in the book of Isaiah. But Isaiah, facing God here, realizes that he cannot count himself among the righteous. He cannot see himself as detached from the people and lifted above the others. He knows and he sees that he's also unclean, unholy, and he sees that he is a sinner. Then one of the seraphim, I'll be talking a little bit about seraphim a bit later, flew to Isaiah, touched his lips with a coal, and said, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. By saying that, we find that these is the words of assurance, that God forgives us, God loves us, God hears us. And in this case, Isaiah responds, God, here I am, send me. Well, the last part of our service, we have the benediction, and that's a blessing from God and ascending us all forth into the world where we will share God's love with each other and with people we meet. Isaiah was commissioned to go and speak to his people only after he saw the Lord in worship. Isaiah heard, he heard, and he responded. Isaiah also discovers something about the heart of who God is, something that has huge implications, not only for Isaiah in 740 BC, but also for us us here worshiping today. He realizes his calling and he realizes God's love. And he realizes this through the act of worship. We're also gone, we're drawn into God's presence through worship. And we don't stay where we are. We don't just stay put and stagnant, but we are called to go forth. We're called to go out into the world sent out into the world just as Isaiah was. So I hope you see the connection with the worship that we're doing today, except for maybe the hot coals and the flying seraphim. But this is how this are elements of part of our worship. Okay, I told you I mentioned a little bit what a seraphith is, although maybe some of you already know, but I was fascinated by angels as a little girl. And we would often sing the hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, in church. And we would sing it in our Methodist hymnal on page 64. If some of you want to take your hymnal out, you can look at it. We have, you have hymnals in the pews now. You can see. And I asked my mom what a seraphim was. You can see... Um, in verse 2, it mentions cherubim and seraphim, the third stanza, uh, third part of the music here, seraphim and cherubim. So I said, what is a seraphim? Well, my mom didn't really know. 
but she said, it's probably an angel, most likely. And so I said, well, I didn't know angels had different names, but they do, you know, seraphim, cherubim, archangel, you've heard this in the Bible. So I was fascinated by the different names. So cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, they are praising God. A seraph is an angel, a celestial heavenly being, guarding God's throne. And I looked seraph and seraphim up, and they said that they are associated with light and purity. And in Hebrew, the word seraph means burning ones, burning ones. And the plural is seraphim, seraph, seraph, and seraphim, okay? So burning ones, think of that. Now, if you look at Tianyin's illustration for our scripture today, Tianyin is our, what you'd say, our resident artist who draws for us each week for uh, whatever the scripture passage is. And now you can see some here on the left and on the right. You can see a cute seraphim on the left, a very cute one on the right. You can see that each of them have six wings. Go ahead and count them. And in the scripture, it says that they covered their face because they're not supposed to apparently look directly at the face of God. And they had two more wings that would cover their feet. The one on the left is flying, so it's not covering <laughs> his or her feet. But you can see the one on the right is, or trying to. And then the other pair of wings is so they can fly. The seraphim express their willingness and ability to serve God as they fly with those two wings. Charles Spurgeon said this of the seraphim. Thus, they have four wings for adoration and two for active energy, four to conceal themselves and two to which to occupy themselves in service. And we may learn from them that we shall serve God best when we are most deeply reverend and humbled in their presence. Veneration must be in a larger proportion than vigor. Adoration must exceed activity. As Mary at Jesus' feet was preferred to Martha and her much serving, so much sacred reverence take the first place and energetic service follow in due course. So Spurgeon's talking about energetic service. So think of the seraphim flying around doing energetic service and inspiring us to go forth to do the same. According to theologian John Calvin, he said this, that the two wings, and with something very similar, but he said with the two wings with which the angels fly means nothing else than their ready and cheerful performance of the commandments of God. The two wings with which they cover their face show plainly enough that even angels cannot endure God's brightness and that they are dazzled by it in the same manner as when we attempt to gain upon the radiance of the sun. So this is why apparently they're hiding their, their face. They cannot look directly upon God because the radiance is so powerful, just like the light of the sun. So with these words of mine, let's look again at another picture of a seraphim. Um, this one's not nearly as cute as the one that Tian drew for us. But you can see clearly the six wings, and it's just an interesting picture. So if talking about seraphim, I don't want to leave out cherubim. 
and you'll find the word cherubim in the Bible. And some people think seraphim and cherubim are the same angelic celestial beings. And others have said that there's a slight difference. One slight difference is that the cherubim are supposed to have four wings instead of six. And that the cherubim's main function is to help God, but seraphim are there to praise God. Very subtle difference. And I was curious to know why seraphim repeated holy three times. Holy, holy, holy. Why wasn't one time just enough? But in the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. Holy, holy, holy. To say the Lord holy is good. To say the Lord is holy, holy is even better. And to say holy, holy, holy seems to be the best and declares God's holiness in the highest, the highest possible way. John Calvin said this about holy, holy, holy. He said that the seraphim said holy three times because there are three persons in the one God. Although Calvin didn't think this was the very best verse to prove the Trinity, but he still saw the truth of the Trinity here. He said, the ancients quoted this passage when they wished to prove that there are three persons in one essence of the Godhead. I have no doubt that the angels here described one God in three persons. Again, going back to this hymn, number 64, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In verses 1 and 4, it says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. What we just sang earlier. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Blessed Trinity. So next time you say the word holy or sing this hymn, think of how holy and magnificent God is, especially when you are worshiping the Lord. Now Isaiah's heart was kindled, it was set on fire to serve God, and worship should be doing that for us. He had a heart that had been touched by God's cleansing fire. And hopefully our hearts are also touched here in worship. Isaiah answered God's call. Worship will help us to answer God's call. Theologian Martin Luther said this about worship. At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. This is Martin Luther speaking. This is a long time ago, back in the 1500s. There is no warmth or vigor in me. But in church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. A fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. This is how he felt in worshiping together in corporate worship. I like to think of worship and when I'm worshiping God as a fire burning within my heart. And you also might have a passion or fire within you, particularly when you think about worship and the style that you like of worship and how worship transforms you. And it's great to discuss more about worship and what it means to you. And we will have a sermon discussion class in Sunday school at 11.15 after worship today. My son, Koyamoto, who's going to be a Lutheran pastor, he's in Illinois, he's going to be sharing his views on worship. So I hope you can join online or in person. Or I hope you can join Hiroko in the Japanese Sunday school. They'll be speaking in Japanese, of course. And they will also be discussing the sermon today and talking more about worship, I hope. Okay, so that's Hiroko, raise your hand. If you're Japanese speaking, follow her after the service. And for the rest of you, um, hopefully you can join us.
either online or go up to the library if you are here today. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. I love this verse. Here I am, Lord, send me. But Isaiah, he had a difficult journey. If you read Isaiah, it's not all easy going for him. And we might have a difficult journey too. But we do worship a God who will never leave us, no matter how difficult the journey may be. When you read Isaiah's experience, even though it was difficult, you know there was also a great sense of awe. Isaiah indicated that when he went into the temple and he felt God's presence. Now I know God is everywhere, and I know the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in God's name, God is among us. And so there is something special about coming together as a community and worshiping God. And sometimes we might have trouble in worship balancing awe and joy, and we might come with our different feelings, sometimes even in sadness because of whatever is going on in our life. And I mentioned that there might be some days we wake up and we just don't feel like coming to worship. Or we may not feel like worshiping God, but you can do it anyway. Just a short prayer or praise of thanks as you open your eyes each day. And there are days we don't feel like coming to church, of course, but, and I cannot force you, but as pastors, we're going to always encourage you to come and to worship together as a community so we can support one another, love one another, and pray for one another. So you might feel joy or you might feel sorrow today. I don't know. Or you might feel a need for repentance. Or maybe you'll go forth today feeling that God is calling you to do something, some sort of task. You will know through your own heart what it is that God is speaking to you. When Isaiah came into the presence of God, he felt a great sense of his sin. And that's when one of the seraphim flew to his mouth, took that coal, and touched his lips with it. And that's when his act of sin was, he felt he was purged. So worship is also time that motivates us to confess our sins, but worship doesn't leave us there. After we confess our sins, we do have the words of assurance because Jesus Christ has come and died for our sins. So God forgives us, but we have to make the act of confession first. We submit to God. We ask God to forgive our sins. And we can leave rejoicing knowing that God is a God of grace and mercy, and God has forgiven us. Apart from God's grace, you nor I would never have come to Christ. But the Holy Spirit, now that we are Christians, the Holy Spirit will guide us. So let the Holy Spirit touch you and touch your heart today. God's grace extends to all. And as we worship together, know that God will always be with us.